Welcome to Practical Christian Living. How many people today, you and I believe by faith, God has established that we should believe that we have a reasonable evidence in the scriptures and we choose to believe by faith. How many people today say, if you showed me, then I will follow you. Do a miracle. Have an angel tell me. Then I'll know and I'll follow you. Scripture and prophecy tells us we are most definitely living in the last days. But no matter how many ways and how many prophecies and passages we might show others, many will simply not believe. Christian, we need to be on guard, pointing others to God's Word and praying fervently for those around us who do not know Jesus. With more motivation and equipping on how to do that, here's Robert Furrow with more from our message in Matthew chapter 24. If you take time to go to Ezekiel and look at the war of Gog and Magog, and you look at the armies that are going to be aligned against the nation of Israel, they are the, they are the countries that do not like Israel today. The stage is set. So that is on the horizon yet from us. We don't know if that happens in the beginning of the tribulation period or if it happens before it. We don't know if the rapture of the church is the actual beginning of the tribulation period or if it happens before it. We do know when the tribulation period begins because there's a sign up in heaven and there is a sign on the earth. The sign in heaven is in Revelation chapter 5. Somebody told me here recently that Revelation, you just can't understand Revelation. I love the name of Skip Heitzig's book on the book of Revelation. It's just the, the title is, You Can Understand the Book of Revelation. It's a perfect title because it really is not complicated. And there's a blessing. You will be blessed if you read and do the things that are written in the book. So there's a blessing for us to study it. But in Revelation chapter 5, there is a, there's a scroll that needs to be opened. But they can't find anybody worthy to open it. And so remember, John begins to weep. And then an angel says, don't, don't, don't weep. For the lamb slain before the foundation of the world is worthy to open the scroll. And so the lamb of God that died for the sins of mankind takes the scroll. Later on, it will talk about the wrath of the lamb. And he tears that first seal. And when he tears that first seal, you have the first of the four horsemen that come forward. And the first four horsemen is the Antichrist. This man that comes on the scene that is giving great swelling words. He's backed by the false prophet. He's able to win the hearts of people politically. And he starts the tribulation period on earth. The lamb starts it in heaven by tearing that first seal and bringing the Antichrist forward. But here on earth it is started in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, where it says he will make a covenant with many for one week. We know that it is a week of years, that it's a seven-year period, because it says in the middle of that week, he will commit the abomination of desolation. He will set up a statue in the newly rebuilt temple, and he will demand that he is God in the middle of the tribulation period. So the tribulation starts when he makes a covenant with Israel and the surrounding armies, maybe after the war of Gog and Magog. The Antichrist has a peace treaty, brings peace to the Middle East, and that is for a, se a seven-year period. If you see somebody making a treaty with Israel and the people around them that hate them for a seven-year period, that's very close to the Antichrist. It's exactly what he does. 
And that starts the tribulation period. That is the beginning of it. The second thing that the Bible tells us about the tribulation period is that it is a time of Jacob's trouble. Listen to what Jeremiah 30, 6 and 7 say. Whether a man, it says, ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all the faces turned pale? Alas, for that day is great so that none is like it. And it is a time of Jacob's trouble. Remember that Jacob had his name changed to Israel. It is a time of Israel's trouble, of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. What a great promise. It's a time that God will turn once again to the people of Israel, to the nation of Israel. I told you about Ezekiel 34 and through 39. It says that the land's going to be restored. The people are going to be restored. The power, military power is going to be restored. But do you know what the last thing to be restored is in Ezekiel? They will come back spiritually to the Messiah. When the Antichrist comes on the scene, Jewish people will receive him as their Messiah. I don't know exactly how that works. Some believe he has to be Jewish because of that, but we also know that he's connected to Rome somehow. We don't know exactly how all of this works together, but they will receive him as their Messiah. But then when the abomination of desolation happens, they will turn against him and they will receive Jesus as their Messiah. And the Antichrist will turn against them with all kinds of hatred and anger, the anger of Satan behind him, the dragon who attacks the nation of Israel, and God steps in and protects them supernaturally. That which becomes a time of Jacob's trouble becomes one of their biggest blessings ever because they receive Jesus as their Messiah and they are protected by him supernaturally. Now, with those things in mind, listen to what Jesus said when he talked first of all about the birth pains and then he comes to the tribulation period. Verse 9 of Matthew 24. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, talking to Jewish people now, and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and betray one another and hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise and deceive many. The Antichrist is the chief of those. And because of lawlessness, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold but he who endures to the end will be saved. In our study last Wednesday night, we talked about how that applies to all of us. We all have to endure to the end to be saved. But here he's talking about the setting of the tribulation period. He who endures to the end will be saved. He goes on to say, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. And Jesus will send out, uh, God will send out angels that will proclaim the gospel around the world. And even though an angel tells them, they still do not believe. Sometimes people will say things like, if an angel will tell me, then I'll believe. Well, an angel will literally tell people and they still will not believe. So Jesus continues and he talks about the abomination of desolation that we talked about in Daniel 9, 27. Let me read that first. Then he this is the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of that week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. This tells us something else about the tribulation period. That a temple is going to be built on the Temple Mount. 
In Revelation, it says measure the temple, but don't measure the outer court. Personally, I don't believe all of the courts will be rebuilt again. I believe the temple will be rebuilt, maybe right next to the Dome of the Rock. If you go to Israel and you go up on the Temple Mount, there's the Dome of the Rock that is there, which is, and you've got the Alaska Mosque. The Dome of the Rock is a mosque. And you've got the Alaska Mosque, which is off to the side. On the opposite side, there's something called the Dome of the Spirits. When you go there, don't miss looking underneath the Dome of the Spirits. It's kind of small, but you walk up and you look at bedrock, Mount Moriah bedrock, right there as high as the Temple Mount gets. And some believe that that is where the Holies of Holies was, at the highest point on Mount Moriah. And you could build the temple next to the Dome of the Rock and build a wall, and Ezekiel says, that divides the profane from the holy, and you could build a wall and still have the sacrifices taking place there. So the temple will be rebuilt. There are those in Israel who are making the implements out of gold now for the temple. There are those in Israel who are, who are trying to produce a red heifer that has to, be, has to be two years old and then has to be certified by a priest. There are those that believe that DNA now is allowing people to begin to, to discover who Levites are so that they can have priests again. What we do know is there will be a temple and there will be sacrifices on it. Maybe that's what the Antichrist does. Maybe the covenant he makes with many for one week is to give something to the Palestinians so that they can get half of the Temple Mount. It sounds like a good peace treaty, but I don't want to pursue it because I don't want to be the Antichrist. So I'll let someone else pursue it. But that could be it. So it says of this abomination of desolation, he will bring an end to the sacrifices of offerings and on a wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out upon the desolate. Now, this abomination of desolation, Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24, verse 15. Look at it. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, now this is important because Jesus is now in 30, I don't know, we're going to call it the early 30s in his ministry. And he says that the abomination of desolation has not happened yet. There are those that believe that Antichaeus Epiphanes who was a, a ruler a couple hundred years before, who was overcome by the Maccabeans, who slaughtered a pig on the altar, that he committed the abomination of desolation. It was an abomination of desolation, to be sure. It was a type of what the Antichrist would do. But Jesus said, when you see it, then know. So it will happen in the future. Also, we're going to see that Jesus is going to talk. Well, 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 we'll get there in a few minutes. Verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down and take anything of his house. And let him who was in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and nursing babes in those days and pray that the flight may not be in the winter or in the Sabbath. Jesus is actually talking of a future point from here. The temple has been rebuilt. Then there's this abomination of desolation. And Jesus says, just flee. At that point, just go. Now, we do know that the temple was destroyed by the Romans. And there are those, there's a group of people called preterists. It's kind of a unique uh, last days eschatology. 
And they believe that the Romans fulfilled all that is here. They believe that that was the abomination of desolation when the Romans destroyed the temple. However, look at verse 21. For he says, for there will be a time of great tribulation, such, this is Jesus talking, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall there ever be. He says that when this abomination of desolation happens, it'll be a worse time than this world has ever seen and worse than anything it's ever going to see. It will be the pinnacle of what's, what's bad. When Titus marched on Jerusalem, he sieged it for four years and then he destroyed it. And that was bad. The destruction of the temple was bad. But I don't think in any stretch of the imagination that you can say that it is the worst thing that has ever happened on the world or ever will happen. In fact, when you begin to understand what happens during the tribulation period, you begin to go, that's what it means. The Bible says that during the tribulation, there will be great catastrophes. There will be water contaminated and a certain percentage of the world will die. There will be heat and a certain percentage of the people will die. There will be great hailstones that will fall from the sky, 75 pounds, and a great number of people on the earth will die. There will be meteors that will hit the water and a percentage of the people on the earth will die. There will be meteors that hit the ground and a percentage of the world will die. There will be a pit that will be opened and scorpions that will come out that have hair like a woman and teeth like a lion, which just to give you a terrifying picture, right? The Bible says that. And they will sting men and they will want to die, but they will not be able to die. The sting won't kill them, but the sting will be so severe that they will want to die. And a lot more. In fact, the Bible says right before Jesus comes back again that heaven and earth shake. There's not only an earthquake, there's a heaven quake. And the stars from the sky fall. You begin, imagine looking up into the night sky, feeling the earth shaking below you, but also seeing the stars falling from the sky as well. You know that this isn't just an event that's happening on the earth. It's an event that's happening in the universe. No wonder Jesus said, this is a time that is unlike anything the world has ever seen or anything the world will ever see. It is the reason that I reject preterism because the, what happened to the temple, although it is bad, is not as bad as what Jesus says, nor as bad as what Revelation tells us that the tribulation period is going to look like. And so then the fourth thing that Jesus says is that false Christ will arise deceiving many. And of course, we know that during the tribulation period, the Antichrist comes on the scene and he does what the Bible calls false and lying wonders. He deceives people with signs. And so many people follow him. How many people today, you and I believe by faith. God has established that we should believe that we have a reasonable evidence in the scriptures and we choose to believe by faith. How many people today say, if you showed me, then I will follow you. Do a miracle. Have an angel tell me. Then I'll know and I'll follow you. So the Antichrist comes on the scene to a world that is demanding a sign and gives them a sign. And so they will end up rejecting the real Messiah and receiving the false Messiah. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it for false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. 
The elect here would be the nation of Israel that has been restored to the land, the temple being rebuilt. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if you say that they say, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner room, do not believe it. Listen to what 2 Thessalonians 2, 8 through 10 says. And then the lawless one will be revealed. This is the Antichrist. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy in the brightness of his coming. As great as the Antichrist is, as, as many great things as he does, he cannot stand in the presence of Jesus. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they do not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Our world is ready for the Antichrist. People who reject believing in Jesus because they say there's not enough evidence that there needs to be extraordinary evidence. Well, the Bible gives us all kinds of evidence. There's reasonable evidence for us to believe, but people will demand a sign and the Antichrist will give them to them. The next thing that Jesus says, we now come to his return. And it happens, well, listen to what he says. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. We know that this is not the rapture because the rapture happens in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. We meet the Lord in the air and we will forever be with him. But here it's seen in front of everybody. Lightning flashes from the east and goes to the west. And then it says, for wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. And we go, what does that mean? It's the battle of Armageddon. There's a great slaughter. The Bible says of this battle that the blood runs to the horse's mane and there's a great slaughter of men and the birds of prey come from all around the world to feed on the carcasses. The battle of Armageddon takes place in the valley of Jezreel, which there have been many battles fought in the valley of Jezreel. There's a place called Megiddo, which is an archaeological site, which is on Mount Megiddo. And Armageddon literally means Mount Megiddo. It's not, it doesn't happen in the valley of Armageddon. It happens in the Jezreel Valley by Mount Megiddo. That's where it takes place. And the armies of the east march against the armies of the west. And there is this great battle that's going to ensue. And Jesus comes back in the middle of it. And the Bible tells us, and we're going to see this in a moment, that these days had to be shortened or no flesh would remain upon the earth. I believe personally what it's saying is that the battle of Armageddon would have been the end of it for this earth. That our weapons have become so powerful that when the West met the East in this great battle that they were literally going to destroy flesh on the earth. If that is true, then God waits as long as he possibly can before he returns. He goes to the very last second when man comes in this great battle against each other. He didn't have to return during the battle of Armageddon, but he was not going to let that battle take place. And the Bible says that all the armies of the world turn to fight against the Son of God as he returns and that he destroys them in a moment. And so as lightning flashes from the east and goes towards the west, it will be during this great battle and wherever the carcasses are, there the eagles will be gathered together. Verse 6, Jesus comes back then and finishes this tribulation period. This great time that has been so bad is finished. It's done. 
immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the heavens. The power of the heavens will be shaken and the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heavens. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's the return of Christ. Now, many believe that verse 31 is the rapture of the church. Those who believe in the post-tribulation rapture will say that verse 31 is the rapture. It is a rapture of sorts, but we'll talk about why it's different. It says in verse 31, and he will send his angels out with the shout of a trumpet and they will gather together the elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. It is a rapture of the children of Israel that have been taken out and hidden in the wilderness from the Antichrist and from the dragon. It is a rapture of tribulation saints that have survived. Remember in Revelation 3.20 where it says we will be kept from the hour of testing that's coming upon the whole earth. And some people believe that we're not taken out by the rapture, but we're actually supernaturally protected in it. Never does the scriptures ever say that we, tribulation saints, will be supernaturally protected. The Jewish people will be, but we will not be. There will be all kinds of martyrs that will take place during that time. And this, when the, when the rapture happens, it's something that happens quietly, quickly. But this every eye sees. The, the sky opens up and the Son of Man returns. And so this is God coming back at the very end and gathering together all of the saints. The Bible also says in the book of Colossians that when Jesus returns, we will return with him. When he comes back, we will be alongside of him. And so we see that this great time, this awful time, this great day of the Lord ends with one of the greatest blessings of all times. And that is the beginning of the millennial period. The time the Bible says that the wolf will lay down with the lamb. I, I remembered a lion with a lamb, by the way, and I looked it up all day. I couldn't find it today. It's a wolf will lie down with a lamb. And that the Messiah will reign from the throne of David for a thousand years. And all things in this world will be restored as God wanted them to be restored. That last seven-year period will be awful. It will be horrible. But it will bring in the greatest time that this world will ever see when Jesus rules and reigns on this earth and we will rule and reign with him. We look forward to that day, but we got to get past the seven years first. And right now from where we are, we want to see as many people come to Christ as we can. And so we want to live our lives in such a way that we can be light, that we can be salt, that we can make a difference with our friends, families, co-workers, and acquaintances. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that we were able today to look at these things that Jesus had to say about the tribulation period and the things that the Bible says, that these things are yet in front of us. And Lord, we don't look forward to these at all. It is a horrible time that is coming upon this earth. And we pray because you have revealed that to us that we would be ready. Why would you give us such information if it wasn't for us to make sure that our lives are right and we are living in such a way that people would see you? Lord, if we are living during the day when you will return and this tribulation period will come upon the earth, then we know that some of our friends and family will be involved in it. We pray that we would live our lives in such a way now that when they are tested, they will call upon you. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.